Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent Arts Editor Brian Slattery to talk about A Quiet Place, a new movie from director John... Oh, what's that, Brian? The, the studio is soundproof? We okay. We can, we can make enough noise. We don't have to worry about the monsters from A Quiet Place coming, coming Thank to God. So, A Quiet Place, a new movie from writer, director, actor, I guess, auteur, John Yeah, exactly. Meets, He's meets the threshold of himself. auteur. Uh, about a family of four that has crafted quite a sustainable life for themselves on an isolated uh, farm somewhere in upstate New York. We'll find out just where from Brian Slattery in a second. <laughs> um, in this kind of post-apocalyptic world where some sort of uh, species of destructive aliens have destroyed almo- almost all of life on at least in New York, probably elsewhere on the planet too. And the few who have survived or those who've realized that these uh, these destructive creatures are hypersensitive to sound. Uh, they cannot see you. Uh, they cannot pick up on uh, where their potential victims may be by anything else than the sounds that they make. So if you are able to stay as quiet as possible, uh, you may just be able to evade uh, their fatal grasp. Uh, Brian, as uh, I find with kind of most things that I do in life, whenever uh, I'm thinking kind of intensely about a kind of high concept movie like this, inevitably I will see, um, you know, in other stuff that I'm reading, other stuff I'm watching, uh, kind of those further spots, kind of like when you you learn a word for the first time and then you see it, like you hear it used three or four times. So I was, this is uh, going to be, all right, listeners, have patience. It's just a 15 second digression, I promise, but a somewhat roundabout way into the movie. I'm reading this book called The Living Mountain by uh, Nan Shepard, which is this wonderful kind of poetic guide through the Cairngorm Mountains in Scotland that she, you know, explored throughout her youth and adult life in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And she's talking, she's very, very keen on describing the kind of the sensual experience of hiking in the mountains for her. And she talks about uh, the unique experience of being in a place that is almost entirely silent. So here's a, a brief passage from a chapter called The Senses. And so this is her wandering on the Cairngorm Mountains in Scotland. For the ear, the most vital thing that can be listened to here is silence. To bend the ear to silence is to discover how seldom it is there. Always something moves. When the air is quite still, there's always running water. And up here, that is a sound one can hardly lose. But now and then comes an hour when the silence is all but absolute, and listening to it, one slips out of time. Such a silence is not a mere negation of sound. It is like a new element. And if water is still sounding with a low, far-off murmur, it is no more than the last edge of an element we are leaving. Such moments come in mist, or snow, or a summer night, or a September dawn. In September dawns, I hardly breathe. I am an image in a ball of glass. The world is suspended there, and I in it. So there are two things that, I, that jumped out at me most about that passage in relevance to A Quiet Place. One is that when you are so desperately, keenly aware of how important silence is, you recognize how impossible silence is. Yes. <laughs> it is in yes. the world in which we live, it is nearly impossible <clears throat> to escape all sounds. And even the smallest of sounds take on uh, the greatest of meanings. And then the second thing is the rare moment when you find uh, something close to the absence of all sound. It's like the introduction of a new element. It's something completely, yes. you know, it's almost tangible in how like, strange and material and important it is in your life and you hold on to it 
as desperately as you can, and you are able to manipulate it in a way that we are, you know, more comfortable manipulating other senses of, you know, sound and and touch and taste and stuff like that. Well, I'm I'm probably more like the author that you described, where I I try to go to places that are usually really quiet. Um, I don't know what the deal is with that, <laughs> but but I, I identified with the person, although I. I was sitting there thinking, like, boy, when I go hiking in the woods, I always think about how loud it is, you know, just because there's, yeah, there's winds constantly you know, on trees and whatever. Um, but yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, you walk out of a movie like that with my ears more like they are when I'm playing music or recording something, um, which to me is actually a pretty cool state to be in. Like, it's actually not that unusual, but I, I enjoy it a lot. You're saying and it's I not love that unusual? Way after a concert or after it's not that unusual for me just generally but i loved the way that the um that the movie played with sound that way like there were there were all kinds of like super i with i don't subtle i was was about to say subtle but i'm not sure they were subtle or intended to be subtle but um you know where there's there's sort of a standard issue thing of that there's like a point of view character for the camera to follow um this movie did that a lot with sound where you, it was less about what the, what the, what the people were seeing and about what they were hearing. Like the, the daughter who is deaf, whenever the camera was following her, they did this really cool, like low bass rumble that would emerge and then all the other sound would fall away. Mm. And you knew that you were hearing things from her perspective, not seeing them. And the movie did that a lot in in, in a way that was really, really effective in, in a couple pretty key moments in the movie right where you realize oh yeah this person can't hear what's going on right now or this person is hearing something and that is what is alerting them to danger or that is what is making them feel safe you know it's like it's less about what they see and more about what they hear and like for for film that's a really cool thing to be playing with like usually it's so visual and this one was like all about like the sound designer must have must have thought like this is my best job ever. I will never get a cooler movie to work on than this one. You know? So you've keyed into a few, th- and I should maybe in my response to that, I'll lay out a few other bare bones kind of plot aspects of this movie, or at least characters. And that there are really f- only four characters in this movie. This is, yeah. I guess, what we would call a very high concept movie, right? You have it's a few a few characters, it's four characters in a room, <laughs> in a room with monsters. And yeah. although the, to, I guess to the movie's credit, or maybe uh, to the movie's uh, kind of greater blockbuster ambition, the drama drama of the movie doesn't just take place within the room which it it could have i mean the concept right. would allow everything to happen in just like a very confined space and we've we've seen movies like this before where the you know the isolation like the absolute isolation of characters uh who are not like i don't know if you saw 10 cloverfield lane which was the uh i guess the I cloverfield haven't. after the first cloverfield right. and before the latest one right, right, right. but it takes you know it's just three characters in a bunker and they're not sure if there indeed has been some kind of alien invasion outside mm. or if the man who has kidnapped them played by john goodman is just wacko and using this as an excuse to hold them hostage and do terrible things to them uh this movie could have played a bit more like that where the paranoia they could have been trapped in a house they could have for been, sure they could have been trapped right. in a house, but also the paranoia that comes with being, you know, completely isolated and not certain about what's happening outside of you mm. is like the driving factor of the drama. Here, this is not a paranoid movie at all. I feel like the characters, no. the, the right. reason the characters have survived is because they are not intensely aware of right. exactly what's happening. And yes. they've, they've created rules for themselves that allow for them to survive. Right. And they're like super competent. 
And I want to talk with you about that because that you know, is they, something a little sometimes very frustrating to watch. Yeah, super competent characters yes. who kind of know exactly how to. So again, John Krasinski plays the father. Emily Blunt plays the mother. We have two uh, children. Millicent Simmons is the actress who plays the the deaf child. That I can, the oldest, the daughter who is also deaf. And I love that as you brought up in this high concept movie where you have to be silent and you have these creatures that are so attuned to sound. Yeah, one of the daughters. Is deaf, and so on the one hand, she, you know, she's can she's uh, perhaps mo- most adept at functioning in this world because she doesn't need to make as many sounds, but she's also right. most vulnerable because she has no idea, you know, whether something is around her. I love details like that that this yes. movie picks up on because it's like you don't yes. need a lot in order to ramp up like already pretty high stakes. Yes. But as you're and saying, it is a very like nerve wracking movie in a way that feels very earned, and even more so, you know? like I find it, I found it most nerve wracking at those moments that you just described when we were in the deaf daughter's yes. mind. Because then, <laughs> I mean, we're used to horror movies where you know there's a lot of like scoring that you know psycho style. Right. Like this you know, had a things, fair amount of that actually. It did, but it could have had it could have had more. But the moments that really less. worked for me more. are when. We have the silence in her ears. We Absolutely. have that low humming, and we're like, "This is the sound of something terrible about to happen," <laughs> um, which I really did. But right. so tell me, all right, this this family has survived because they are hyper competent. This isn't like a twenty eight yes. days later situation where like someone wakes up in a hospital and they, don't, right. you know, there's no reason why this one person happened to survived. Right. This family survived for a reason because they know how to live in silence. Right. What do you think of the routine that the movie shows that uh, like about how this family? Has gone about surviving. See, for I thought however long a time. I thought all of that was really cool. Um, the reason I thought it was cool is this: I think that for a lot of horror movies, so many of them rely on people making sort of stupid decisions. At some point, they basically make mistakes. Don't go in the room. And right. Go in the room. Yeah. Right. That that kind of stuff. And this movie was all about people who who don't make those kinds of mistakes. Like they're smart. They're aware. Everything that they do makes a ton of sense and it to me that makes the that makes the movie and and a lot of a lot of horror movies like it better for that you know it's it's always good when the characters aren't don't just make a dumb mistake and then they die (laughs) right it's it's something that they have because the situation is constantly changing around them and they have to react and they have to react and they have to react and um I, i bought all of that I bought all of that because it was it was a condition of the movie that was set up like in the first three minutes, right? That these that this is a family where like they all know they all know sign language because they have a deaf member of the family, and that obviously puts them at a huge advantage when this thing happens, right? (laughs) You know, so they all they all already know it, right? And they like they they must have thought to themselves at some point, well, that's a lucky break, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And then, and then as it turns out, they're like, they're, these are people who, you know, they're, they're used to sort of like living by themselves on a farm. So they're really good at that sort of thing of, you know, if there's a problem, we have to fix it ourselves. We have to, um, you know, we don't, we don't get to rely on outsiders. We don't get to, um, you know, we don't, we don't get to call the police or call the fire department or whatever it is. Like we have to deal with problems ourselves. And they're, they're, they're really good at that. And all of that sort of comes out in a huge way. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you know I, in the course of this movie but like to me like that's the old, that's a great setup for a good horror movie yeah you know yeah that's that is a great point you know i hadn't even made the connection that this is a family already adept at sign language or at least knowledgeable functional in sign language because they need to talk to the, the condition one member of their, of their family their daughter right. and i think that that is one i guess subtle enough that i missed it but demonstration of the 
kind of unique traits that this family have totally. to allow for their survival. Like the attention to detail of their of their routine, I thought was totally so my magnificent. Fav- my favorite, the soft part, baby toys, the, so- the soft baby toys. <laughs> I, they're, they're, they're number. This movie really pays attention to details, and uh, there's one key detail that I wondered how you respond to this is the nail in the stairwell that I was curious because it <laughs> right. is it has a very important plot function but I think it maybe pun not intended it sticks out like a little too much but again this is a pop, this it, is like a big block even you know, that is, felt okay to me because the whole idea meant I, to instill dread in the audience right. minutes before for sure I mean it's really like Chekhov's nail right <laughs> I mean there's <laughs> there's a there's a million of things yeah. like that in this movie but but the other thing is like it made it, even that made sense to me because the whole idea was so it, this is a great example. There's a point where you see them living in the barn of their farm, and my first thought is like, why are they living in the barn? The house is right there. And then as soon as they go in the house the first time, I'm like, oh right, it's because the house is too noisy. Yeah, everything creaks when right. they step on it. And, and then that made sense for like, why is there a, a loose nail? It's because nobody's there to maintain the house anymore. So the house is slowly falling apart and there's they know there's nothing they can do about it at this point. But this is how you get this is how you get nails in your in your basement steps. Right. I mean, I live in my own house. I li- there are like four nails in my house that I am constantly pounding back into the floor because it changes with the seasons. And if you're not there to do it, they're they're gonna come out. That's yeah. You know what? I think that my frustration with this moment, without giving too many details away about the scene, because it kind of comes into play and be very kind of sustained it's like a 45 minute climax of this movie like once totally. once the yeah once the s hits the fan it kind of continues to right i think that it's with, just constant s hitting the fan and it's it's over really, and over man, again i'll talk about my favorite sequence in a second <laughs> which is the kind of beginning of that but a character steps on an exposed nail and as you're you know as you're saying it's very plausible that a nail would be sticking out in this farm stairwell yes. leading down to the basement basements we are very familiar with from like horror movies you don't go in the basement that's where terrible things happen right here it's not necessarily the monster but it is you know what is very naturally a part of this environment i think that um i was a little put off or i taken a little bit out by how this should have been like an absolutely debilitating injury for the person who incurs it and i feel like she you know, she definitely suffers on screen. It is not a happy experience. Right. But there are a number of, I mean, I guess these people are uniquely like capable of surviving adverse circumstances. But I know that if if that happened to me, I would, you know, I would, the alien wouldn't even need to come. <laughs> I died the minute are that you I sure? stepped away. I mean, I, guess, I feel like I, considering how she, you know, this is a pregnant woman. She's right. stepped on this nail that's I mean, I have to say I, I've had foot. an experience <laughs> like, like this. Maybe and it's just the... It's not hypothetical pain is maybe more difficult. Yeah, I was gonna say like the, to me the level of pain, of pain was uh, seemed it, seemed it jived with my own experience of oh, having this of, of this. And was happening. an alien chasing you down? There was the no alien there. chasing me. Am I even? Is yeah. it appropriate to call these aliens? I guess that's what I, I was under the, the impression that they, that you were you were given to understand that they were aliens, like right. or or might as well be. And even yeah, though this is a Jaws style kind of late-ish reveal of what the creatures look like right we are given plenty of the creature you know this is not oh, something yeah. where it's like hidden until the absolute last moment for sure um the okay uh, my favorite detail though about how to maintain a silent life and still live like a <laughs> an otherwise like happy and productive one are the trails of sand yes uh, that oh this gosh. family lays everywhere one it provides so everyone walks barefoot Something I love. I love the shot early on in the movie where yeah, we it's just like see sand the, and ash. Is this combination? Yes, of stuff. yeah. Right. I guess that I'm not quite sure where they get it. Maybe from burning wood. They're, yeah, what, apparently yeah. they're they're constantly burning things. And uh, oh right, 
there's a fire tower that plays a very right. important role in this movie. But yes. one visually, we can see uh, the remember that that scene at the end of the most recent Star Wars, where like on the salt planet, you see the red trails. Yes. Of, you know th- that right. had uh, a similar kind of visual impact here, where we see sure. this white, li- this narrow white line that extend that kind of crisscrosses the entire vi- environment of this of this yeah. family. And we know just looking at it, this is the safe place to walk. Right. Anywhere outside of that narrow path, no matter how like benign the right. you know corn you're in potential fields, danger, you have to stay on this path. And if you don't, and there are a couple scenes where people diverge from the trail, right. and it's dense because we've been led to believe that like right. only the sandy, ashy spot is yes, safe. Exactly, I love that. But then the sound, and this is one I I want to get your musician's ears take on. <laughs> this movie isn't just a about the counterpoint between silence and sound for me. It's about the. Uh, like interplay between yeah, it's loud and soft silence, sounds. soft and loud yes. sounds. The soft sound of feet, bare feet on sand, is something that I found absolutely delightful yes. and comforting in this movie. That's the right. sound of safety. Sound yes. of wrestling in the corn, not not safe. <laughs> and they did a neat job of really amplifying. Like when they, when the father is describing to the son at one point how it's like soft, like you know, low sounds are safe, and and you know, uh, louder sounds are unsafe. They did a really good job in the sound design of of making that distinction really clear. Like it was basically like if a sound was loud, it was really loud. I mean, and loud by their categorization of loud, <laughs> you know. Right. And it, it again, it made sense. It was like from the point of view of these characters, like a lantern falling over would be super loud to them. A because they're living in near silence most of the time, and B because they they know it spells trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie gets really cool, really right sense. about sound. Is that mm-hmm. sound uh, has its impact in context, right? Yes. It's you know these the smallest of sounds when by itself resonates, you know, a lot more right. loudly or importantly. And again, I'm sure you know pushing you as a musician, but you know if there's silence and then someone plays like a random note, that will affect an audience member, I think, a lot more For strongly sure. than if in an ensemble of me, right? right. You know, a in this movie's uh, parlance in like a very loud, you know, flowing river, you can even scream under a waterfall and will, right. it will not have the well, same impact. as a musician, I found that when I was putting myself in the world that they're living in, I was thinking like, this is devastating. Like, how am I going to play music in this place? And then when they discovered that there's this place where they could do it, I was thinking like, I would be going there all the time. <laughs> you know? Right. There's a safe space to be doing that. Let's, yeah. say, let's talk about the... Well, actually, I'm going to share one more detail that I really loved, and then let's talk about the characters themselves. Because, again, we only have a few of them. Right. And so I think that our buy-in to the movie kind of hinges upon at least the acting of, of some For of sure. Um, for sure. But the one, one other detail that I doesn't really come back to play in the same way that The Nail does, for example, but I love how we know that this family is not alone in the world. And the way that we know that is that each night, John that was Krasinski's really father cool goes to the top yeah. of this kind of fire, this, I don't quite know what, a tower where he lights a big fire. I'm not quite sure what the actual tower that he's repurposed. No, it's to, on to the top this. of a, um, they're on the top of a, of a grain silo. Of oh, a grain silo, that's right. Yeah, they're on the top back. of a, one of the yeah. grain silos on their property. And he lights a fire at sundown every night and then he looks out across the horizon and we see in the you know the rolling hills of upstate new york or um or the <laughs> mountains of southern appalachia or whatever it may be um we see all of these other small kind of flames these little red dots on the horizon and even though those people 
Yep. May, there's one other explicit reference to a person who's still alive and has a somewhat tragic end. But yes. um, but you know, we, don't, we don't see those people on the horizon. They're just kind of a little emblem of hope that this family is right. living for. To you know, they don't have to populate the earth again with their own, you know, their yes. own efforts. They know that there are other people out there. They're just too far to reach. I mean, this is a good way to segue to the characters, right? Like one of the things that I liked so much about these characters was that these are people who had who had very much decided to survive and not just survive, but they expected to somehow sort of prosper. Like you see that, I mean, the big one for me was that was the, the mother teaching the son math, you know, where she's thinking like, there's going to be an end to this somehow. And like, she, she believes that so much that she's making her kid like learn multiplication and division in this place where it's not really going to come up that much. Yeah. You know, but she's just like, that's it. Like, you you have to learn this stuff. Like, we're we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get through this. Mm. And yeah, it's oh. it's really neat. I mean, I, I thought that was a great, and that was a again, like a, in a movie that sort of relished its details. Like that was one that told you a lot about what the family is expecting the future to look like. So I actually I read that scene a little bit differently, but I love your interpretation as well. I think that's I think it can serve as both. But I found those sequences of like of domestic tranquility as reinforcing a normalcy that is impossible to like that doesn't exist for these kids and so the parents are trying to you know craft an environment to induce as little panic as possible for these kids who've really known nothing else but like a world surrounded by scary like and it's kind of i mean you know yes this is a you know an alien invasion movie but i do i'm kind of you know quite moved by that because there are plenty of real world examples of like omnipresent traumatic stuff where the smallest like slice of normalcy is what these right. family members can can hold on to and it's so sweet and the way that she and it also you know the the boy character is very much a mama's boy right he does not want to be the hunter gatherer yes. inventor whatever that his father is and i think there's a connection between the the mom and the son at that right. moment of her you know I mean, as there's the connection between the daughter and the father. Yes. Who are much more alike than either of them quite seem to realize. Yeah. Right? So I think that, that, well, let me say you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and we're not whispering anymore. We're talking at full volume with Brian Slattery about A Quiet Place, a new (laughs) horror movie. Horror movie? Horror movie is an appropriate description by writer, director, actor John Krasinski. So there are two key pairs in this movie, John Krasinski's father and then uh, the older deaf daughter as one. And then we have the other, uh, Emily Blunt's mother, played by the younger, kind of gentler uh, and also maybe much more uh, nervous, kind of nerve-wracked child. Yeah. Um, I feel like the the mother-son relationship works so much better for me than the father-daughter yeah. If only because Emily Blunt is just such a better actor. Than no, she's amazing. I mean, and, I mean, we we talked about this before that like the you know, one of John Krasinski's best moves as a director was to like give Emily Blunt most of the acting work to do cuz she's she's extraordinary. Like everything that she does is I I I like her so much and everything I've seen her in and it's really cool to see her like this whole movie more or less rests on her shoulders yeah. and she's, she's, she's really, really good in it. You know, she, she's able to, it's a, it's a character where she goes from like complete terror to like that. I mean, the, the wonderful, wonderful moment at the end, you know, where it, so did you she buy, transforms. Did you buy the ending? The ending definitely, I, I mean, the, the movie builds this, uh, 
I don't want to ruin the ending for for people. I won't give. Yeah, thing, we won't give away the specifics. But the movie is but definitely it's rest, rest assured. Like she gets to run the gamut of emotions. She does. You know, and there's in a, the course of the movie, a very specific switch in gender roles at the end. Whereas the movie is yeah. trying. You know, the father's intention is to have this. What we may recognize as like a very heteronormative, uh, like nuclear family. You know, two parent household where the dad does a certain type of work, the mom does yeah. a certain type of work, and then the boys and girls follow. And at the end, it makes a very abrupt shift where, right. you know, that those roles of like the active, you know, action hero defender are not uh, limited to the man. I don't know. I actually didn't really buy that switch at the end. It, um, even though I was certainly more invested in the Emily Blunt character. Than I was Krasinski, just under the impression but... that the reason that she was... Um, the reason that she was being left behind all the time was because she was pregnant. Yeah. She was nine months pregnant. Yeah, like she's ditching her. Debilitated. I mean, she's just her. debilitated. You, yeah. know, she, you got the impression at the very beginning of the movie before she's pregnant that she can pull her own weight just fine. You know, and then, but, you know, fast forward nine months, which this movie does, and she just can't do a lot of the work. <laughs> right. You know, which is totally normal. And so, like, now the now the dad is having to do most of the, you know, I'm going to go out and do whatever needs doing outside of the barn and you have to do all the stuff that's in the barn and there's plenty to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the, I, again, I think that some, even though, you know, this movie again is an alien invasion movie. So it's asking you to suspend a certain amount of disbelief. I feel like that, you know, when you have a pregnant woman all alone in a barn, stepping on an ale, chased by aliens. I felt like too many things were happening to this woman in the middle of the movie. It's like, one of these would be such an effective well, way to like get me tense. But, yes. but so many, while yes. all, all the other characters well, were so removed, I was like, why punish this woman so? And then all of a sudden she's the you know heroic figure. Well, to me, like, so my favorite thing about, when I think about my favorite horror movies, I really like really good horror movies. And the thing that I like about them, I realize, is that if you took out the sort of weird supernatural whatever elements that make the horror movie a horror movie, there would be a drama at the center of it that's really real. That's about a, a very, very real A thing. favorite of ours, the Babadook. Oh my God. Like the Babadook, right. The Babadook's great. And you, I can do this with like a lot of horror movies I like. You go, this is really a movie about whatever. And like, this is a movie about grieving for a child, you know, and it's about like how a family moves on after grieving for a child and how they like put the fa- how they put themselves back together. Mm. And that, that is what fuels the movie and makes you really care about these characters. I mean, you know, the, the, the monsters feel like a metaphor for, you know, we can just give up, <laughs> you know, but they won't, you know, they, they're, they're like, no way, no way. We're going to be a family. We're all going to get our, we're going to get each other through this thing. And, oh. It is really cool. It is very, very effective. Yeah, man, that is such, I, I think that's such a good reading of this movie and one that unfortunately I was not, even though all of the signs were there, especially in, in the father's uh, kind of patient endurance and building all of these yeah. different uh, kind of hearing kits for her daughter. Right. You know, you know we, are, we are going to figure out a way for my daughter uh, to listen someday. He just, despite all the obstacles, right. he, he does not give up. Those signs were there and yet, like he's not saying I'm, I'm going to protect her forever. He's saying I'm going to build her into the person that doesn't need protecting. Yeah, and, you know? and yeah, that's a great way of putting. It. And the opening sequence does such a great job of establishing the dynamic between the family members. Totally. Right, the, how one kid is just a little too young to understand how dangerous it is to engage in certain activities in this world. 
But some, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't have like a perfectly articulated <laughs> explanation for why that su- that uh, like important kind of subterranean level of meaning for this about how all you know everything is a metaphor for this you know this family's uh, survival and endurance through grief. I feel like didn't hit me as hard as just the surface level metaphors about like the impossibility of which silence totally and the works. dangers of, right. of which sound, totally works which too. is I guess the more genre element but right. yeah um, it it does work is there anything so I think we're both on board with Emily Blunt John Krasinski as an actor I think that you know he can never I feel like he's 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 like wearing a beard to do the acting for him it's like he's you know he's supposed <laughs> to be like this rugged like self sufficient guy but yeah he's such a He's such like a sap underneath. Are you, these, will he ever be able to shake that uh, that perturbed like goodness of the Jim character in The Office? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I I have the benefit of not having seen so much of The Office that that's yeah, I like, even either. But for some reason, that know, character has yeah, it's survived. But it's, it's true that like he he doesn't give he actually doesn't give himself all that much to do in the acting department, right? He he has he has to he has to do things, but he doesn't. He basically has to be worried most of the time. That's his, that's his job. And like, because it, because he sees it as his job to hold himself together. Like the whole idea is that he has to hold himself together. He can't reveal too much. Yeah. 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 And, and so he, it, I, I think he gave himself a really good role to play. I mean, I think he does fine with it, but it, like the kids have to do a lot more acting than he does. Definitely. And, you know, and of course like Emily Blunt has to do, right. has to do like all of the adult acting. And what a, <laughs> you know? what a face the the daughter has, right? She is, it's something about, she was amazing. She's like very deep set eyes right. and very pronounced like cheeks and nose. There's something, I, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but there's something kind of sunken and like hidden a little bit about her face and that uh, I, when it's such a deep well of like emotion that is constantly like bubbling up that like the right. father, she's trying to suppress right. but something about her, her like eyes and her nose and her cheeks. Yeah, she was very like, so she was amazingly expressive, expressive. Yeah. She was amazingly expressive. It, like at, especially those scenes where you see her. I mean, to me, like those scenes were pretty heartbreaking as a deaf person. She still knows that she will make sound if she lets out what, what is, if she lets out her grief, she will cry she has never even heard what that sounds like, but she knows that it's a bad thing. Yeah. I just thought like, oh my God, this is... <laughs> yeah. And she's... What a scene. I mean, know? she's kind of burned from the consequences of the opening sequence in which maybe she's not as aware of the dangers yeah. of something that can make sound. And then she right. has to live with the guilt of that. I feel like, unfortunately, the character uh, over the... You know, outside of that opening sequence is not given enough to do to really demonstrate the grief that she's feeling it's almost i don't know there's a little too much of people saying she feels bad i don't you know yeah i I don't know there's you know there are scenes in which she does go to like the memorial site for for her younger brother but i i still felt like she's a, a great actress but i felt like the screenplay maybe wasn't quite strong enough to really that's have possible that connection I, between father this is, and this is one of my like quote-unquote weaknesses when i'm reading books and watching movies and all of that which for some reason it's i identify with characters like very very quickly so like i i'm i guess i'm pretty good at just like running with like the smallest details that people <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> you know, like a movie can great. give me like three details and i'm like i understand this character <laughs> well that's... but in a movie like this it really works because yeah. they it's like it's it's a really short movie as especially these days Love it. It's like hour and a half super, in and right, out. Like the economy in this. 
I mean, I love things that ha- that demonstrate economy yeah. like this. And to me, like they, there is there is enough detail for me to understand what this character was right. going through. And this isn't a movie you know? like Twenty Eight Days Later, where we have you know this this wasted landscape of a character trying to figure out what's happened to humanity and exploring all yeah. over London and elsewhere in the surrounding kind of British area. This is focused on this plot of land, right? Yes, We're not exploring sure. the great bounds of like New York that has been left destitute. This is this little, this little. Yeah, sliver. there's basically like three minutes of this movie are devoted to telling you that the rest of the world is, is as in trouble as this little corner of it that we get to see all the right. time. And we get a lot of that through details like uh, newspapers that are pasted right. on the wall. And his attempts to, his attempts sound. to use the radio to contact other places and he never manages to find any. So I think that all, everything we've been saying thus far, especially the attention to detail speaks pretty favorably of John Krasinski as a director. Um, yes. But there was one, <laughs> you know, again, this is maybe just curmudgingly kind of non-blockbuster me that was pushed up a little, pushing up a little against where all of the like the reliance on the kind of quick jump scares at like random moments in the movie yeah. that felt that stuff always feels a little cheap to me no i agree i agree i mean and, and this is actually come out cheap. yeah this is this is always this has come out in a couple other other reviews also where they say like you know this movie is better than that you know you can, and it is yeah as we've been it's saying way right? better. it's way better right. like it doesn't it doesn't need yeah. it doesn't need the um like the blast of music to accompany the way that the monsters move. Like the way the monsters move is more than enough to be really, you know, really scary to watch. Right. And it's something that, but this is like, at some point we're going to, you're, you're going to like unleash this rant I have about soundtracks in general like that. But, but that's the idea. Like I, I sort of thought like, you know, the composer could calm down here because what's already there is is more than enough to terrify the audience. Especially when sound, when <laughs> you know? noise and silence are so well like woven into the narrative of the movie. Yes, uh, like I would a little have, bit I would have liked to have seen the music game. more follow the sound design, where it's like the music is what the character, the, the point of view character exactly. is feeling. You know, so that like the sound will happen and the music should react to the yeah. sound instead of being the sound. You know that kind of stuff. One other, but, even though the the design of the aliens, I found, you know, it was fine. It it seemed familiar from other kind of Cloverfield type movies. Yeah. But I did really appreciate. Again, this is speaking to Krasinski's. This is only his second movie the as ear director. Thing was really I love cool. the zoom in on the ears yes. every time we. Yes. And, and it's coupling of the visual and the auditory elements of the movie because. Yes. We know that these things are are mostly like ear. <laughs> They're like these yeah, big flaps. The heads are just an ear, ear and a mouth. But when right. there is a particularly important noise to be listening to, the camera zooms in on the ear of the alien, and then we hear that noise amplified. Yes, I love that yeah, detail. It's su- it's super cool. Like you don't need to draw attention to much, but the fact that we know yes. that these guys are hearing something that the humans don't want them to be hearing, right? And then danger is is nearby. Yes. Brian, this is a movie set in upstate New York, most likely. <laughs> you are from upstate New York. Yes. Continue. Well, <laughs> so the other thing that I have a chip on my shoulder about, um, I, this is like a long conversation that I have to figure out how to compartmentalize. Just think about quickly. how it works in the context of this movie. Right. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that um, upstate New York is a constantly neglected place. Um, you know, it's a place that people drive through and... It doesn't 
even get commented on as a place that people drive through. Like it's it's a flyover state, but it's the state isn't a flyover state. <laughs> so nobody talks about it. But I actually immediately recognized it as being quite possibly in upstate New York and then came came home to see if that was true. And sure enough, it was it was it was filmed um in like Ulster County mostly, which is sort of like where New Paltz is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um Is that the Catskills? Yeah, no. it's kind of like the um it would be the eastern edge of the Catskills, you know, where where all of this was filmed. And um part of the reason that it it rang true is that you know these these places that are sort of you know like like it's it's really easy to find an overgrown farm in upstate new york it's a place that like where it's kind of i hate like slagging the place where i grew up but the truth is that this place is really in trouble like people are leaving a lot and there's a lot of sort of abandoned stuff lying around like it's you know it's a place of a lot of like dilapidated barns and resting grain silos and this this movie, I think, did a really good job of kind of capitalizing on that, and also like without without cheapening it either. I mean, it was sort of showing like, look, this is really sad, um, but uh, it it also makes it a really effective place to put a movie like this because there's something um, there's there's something a little creepy about it sometimes. <laughs> you know, like when I was growing up, I you know you you do get the feeling every once in a while of kind of walking through a place that people have left, and um, it was really neat that they managed to use that in a way that served the theme of the movie in this like really beautiful and specific way. Yeah, you know they're they're it much better much better that than sort of trying to recreate that. Um, like I I learned I I nerded out a little bit and I learned that they had found the farm and then like the they needed the barn to be a little bit more overgrown. And the person who owned the barn sort of begrudgingly was like, I'll just let it go for a few months. <laughs> you know, to like let it get a little gnarlier. Right. You know, but which, it seems totally plausible that they would have found it that way because in this environment, yeah, or it's like they, they, they're probably, you imagine they were looking overgrown. at the barn and thinking, can there be more vines on this thing? And the guy's like, yeah, if I don't do anything about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I and really... that was, that was it, but like probably like right down the road from that property was was a barn that was like too far gone to use, you know, and that but it managed to really like to to really use that and in what I thought was a really beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, this... it passed muster with this upstate New Yorker. <laughs> Which... This and this and you can count on me, you know, it's like <laughs> not to be taken lightly. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. the right passing the the test of authenticity of sorts, but also I yeah. think that um. You know, what this landscape says to me is uh, this very, like, lush isolation. Like, there's so yeah. much life here, like natural life, right. but there's so little human life. And that is something that the the people who live there, you know, the kind of hunter-gatherers that they've transformed themselves into a little right. bit, even though, again, they've also created this, you know, pretty complex and comfortable recreation of like modern life and its amenities but they still have to go to like the you know the river and catch their own fish and stuff yeah. and and, yeah. and do their own hunting so you know they've become entirely self-sufficient uh, and this is a environment that'll kind of provides what one needs in order to survive yeah. and yet also the isolation of it m- means that you know if there's something out there preying on you, yeah, uh, you can't really turn to anyone else for help. Uh, yeah, you have I to mean, rely on like, yourself. Going back to the whole thing about how so many details were used to sort of convey a much larger thing. Like I loved the details of, you know, at some point the power grid failed and nobody's around to fix it. And they just go like, Well, I guess I guess we're done with that. <laughs> you know, we can we can generate our own electricity a little bit. 
you know, which they use every once in a while, you know, to power like the the emergency light bulbs and stuff like that. But when they didn't need to use power, they didn't. You know, they were always constantly like lighting lanterns and candles and things like that. And I I I loved that that particular detail. You know, yeah. the idea of like the systems that the humans created are sort of slowly coming apart. You know, not because someone actively destroyed them, but because there's like nobody left to maintain them. And, uh, you know, appropriately for any horror movie, uh, night is a much more dangerous time than the daytime. Yeah. Uh, even though these creatures can only hear, they can't see, you know, the humans retain their fear of the dark, especially the kids, um, <laughs> which is something that even in a world where sound is something that is most important, yeah. uh, it was, you know, good to see that that, that lasts. Right. Even in this world, a fear of the dark lasts. For um, sure. I do, well, maybe I'll just allude to it, but I, I thought it was such a, a wonderful, uh, like, uh, beginning of this prolonged climax that I want to at least allude to it, uh, which is when the the mom begins to go into labor and is kind of imminently threatened by both the nail and by the alien creatures and the rest of the family realizes that was an amazing there's a big distraction the that the kids have been like you know they've so been planning good. as like <laughs> this is you know going to code red when things are yes. really bad do this and i thought this like the synchrony of that distraction happening yes. while the family is rushing to save the mom was just beautiful. If anything, I could have dealt with more of that. I feel like that I particular moment of the climax yeah. was just maybe 20 seconds, but it was so well, uh, so well edited. I thought this is really something spectacular because it's the yes. first big noise that we hear in the movie. Yes. Up until then, it's been kind of whispers and not, right. not a lot of sound. And then, I mean, another credit to this movie, I, when you learn that, that Emily Blunt's character is pregnant, I sort of assumed that that was going to be like the act three thing in the movie and you're like, Oh, it's the act two thing in the yeah. movie. Like there's more, Yeah, <laughs> there's more coming. And I was thinking, you know, I, 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 my first thought was like, I don't know if I can really take much more. Of this. Well, and I feel like the movie <laughs> struggles to live up to that you trauma know? because you know, at yeah. the end when you have to like come up with all these convoluted ways for the baby to be in danger, like, floating well, away. I thought more along the lines of how cool it was like that they had, how much they had prepared for yeah. the baby making all the noise. <laughs> yeah, they prepared, prepared so well. But of course, I mean, this is something that uh, I think Stanley Kubrick does so well in his movies, which is the best laid plans by hyper-competent people right. are still subject have flaws. To the, right. They have flaws, but they're also subject to the whims of just random stuff happening yes. that you cannot predict. And I thought that was like a nail, very well done. Or like you have a the, safe the, room for the pregnancy, but then your other two kids are not there. You right. know, how, do you, how do you go about right. it? I thought that was a really... And there are problems with putting it below ground level, as it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> right, yeah. Although, again, I felt like too many things were kind of happening in that sequence. It's like, pick one! <laughs> I, I, I like, I like yeah, stuff I like that, though. Um, I do want to circle back to, as we maybe wrap up the review. And, well, one, I want to hear if there are any other scenes in the movie that jumped out to you that we haven't spoken about, because this is a movie of set pieces that I think some are yes, more successful there, than others. Maybe I the, mean, I don't want to... The, the, I, I, we... Do we, should we talk about the ending? Uh, do, all right. Yeah, sure. Why not? We can do what we want on this show. Yeah, so, <laughs> so spoiler. Spoiler. Because <laughs> right. uh, I love yeah. the ending sequence, especially for all the sound design stuff. Yeah. Tell you me, what, what, when does the ending begin for you? What's the ending the begins when they are in the basement once again. And everybody, like all of the remaining family members are there. And there's a, there's a creature who knows they're there. And they are in no position oh, yes, to be silent very, yeah, anymore. Definitely. I like that as well. Yeah, they're absolutely in no position. The self-sacrifice of one character. Yes. Thought, but, yes. Yeah. So the, um, 
this the sound design is that the the what I liked about the sound design was how it it got at sort of this amazing central theme to the movie um you know about the family like moving on from their grief and it turns out that the whole deal is that they can't do it by themselves you like none none of those characters has what they need to to move on by themselves they need the rest of the family to make it happen and like the the really cool thing about this movie is the way that like all of these elements come together at the end that like they they long story short they figure out how to how to defeat and, and one of the aliens finally and none of that could have happened without the contributions of each of the people in the family in some like pretty darn significant way and most of that is conveyed through really effective use of sound design you're so right oh, man <laughs> you're right this i forgot how much it i really did appreciate super that super killer sequence yeah, yeah like that that the daughter basically the daughter figures out that the hearing aids that the father has been like trying to figure out how to amplify turn out to hold the key to this whole thing so that you learn along with her um how to exploit that and and they and once again it comes back to the idea that this this is a really smart kid who you know only needs to be told twice and a really strong kid right Right. because we see really only needs to be told twice how she can use something that she has seen yeah Yeah. no you're right it's really really freaking cool yeah it's, yeah, that is a, a great moment, and it also is the one where I mean, we have the little the boy uh, kind of tending to the baby in the corner. He's he's not a part of this defense at all, right? right? He's the one who's but it's so necessary, right? Yeah. Like he had you can't you can't just leave a baby right. lying around. Like he he idea, you know in some ways he has the most important job. Yeah, you know. Yeah, at least what right the entire movie, at least the maybe second two thirds have been building up to, which is the birth and the protection of the yeah. newest member, the re- the child replacing the one who's Yeah, who's I mean, there's definitely the, a certain idea yeah. of, like, we are not letting this happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I also, I was so struck you know? by the, like, the temerity of this family to try, like, to have a child in this environment. It's like, what are you thinking? Like, how... Well, you get I the mean, impression that maybe they weren't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's, I mean, it's just, yeah. again, like... You'd love the, to have the conversation, you know, she said, you'd have that on screen where she says, I'm pregnant, and her thought is like, what have we done? <laughs> Nothing bad Oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> the, all right, the, la- the last thing I want to say about this, and this is, I wonder if there are any um, other movies that come to mind when you think about really effective, sustained uses of silence. Uh, oh my god they, it may be a difficult one to just pull from the top of my head but the one that most came to mind for me is this you know some view, some listeners may be familiar with it it's this 1955 crime film called Rafifi that if anyone has heard of it it's because of this prolonged it's like a 25 minute heist sequence in the middle of the movie uh, where these the five characters robbing this bank don't speak a word and all that we see this is a kind of Ocean's Eleven style robbery but mm. All that we see are these, you know, incredibly, again, like hyper competent individuals in their element who know exactly how to communicate with one another without saying yeah. anything. They are they have like the tools of their profession and that is all that they need to like to realize the goal that that cannot be realized if they speak because then their their heist will be given away. Uh, and mm. we see kind of step by step and we're aware of the danger of noise at that moment because they are, you know, again, immaculately trained. They know what they're doing. They know how to get there. But any small slip up as manifested by like a sudden 
crash could yeah. mean the end of the heist and you know they go to jail or whatever the consequences are right and i feel like silence does something similar in a quiet place and that it emphasizes uh the competence of uh communication between people who yeah. like, know each other really well and are aware of how to survive without speaking i feel like that's yeah. a really a really cool thing that this movie brings up that when you are in like survival mode right speaking isn't necessarily the most efficient way to communicate yeah yeah and it, it, it and it also has that sort of you know there's a little bit of a like glory in the power of film right yeah, yeah. to be like we can we can take away an element that like every other just about every other movie relies on heavily you know which is dialogue right it's like we can take away that and just with just with sort of you know good visuals and good sound design we can tell like a, a really pretty breakneck story yeah yeah and going back to that uh rambling uh monologue or passage that i read at the beginning by nan shepherd you know an absence of dialogue does not mean an absence of sound you know even yeah. though people are not speaking there's right. still plenty of other small kind of auditory cues that let us know what is happening or what's about to happen yes Brian, it's such a pleasure to talk with you about yeah, this movie. Yeah, this was fun. That, thanks for seeing A Quiet this, Place and being loud. Are you kidding? Thanks your... for giving me the excuse to see <laughs> A Quiet Place. Did you I... see it with uh, with Leo? Uh, a little too. None of my family members had any interest in yeah, seeing this movie. I understand. I don't and think I, would, uh, I would agree. But I, yeah, <laughs> definitely recommend it. Uh, a Quiet Place, playing at the Criterion downtown, and probably a whole bunch of theaters. It's gotten a pretty big release. I should hope so. It's, yeah. like, it's, a, it's a, like a great, smart horror movie. All we can ask for in this horror yes. renaissance in which we live. Uh, <laughs> all right, Brian, uh, check out Northern Remedy if you're not already a listener, which is oh. Brian's uh, uh, weekly or bi-weekly? Weekly. Weekly music program here in WNHH. Uh, anything else that you want to plug that you're working on? No, just check yeah. out the independent, all the arts yeah. Brian's doing there. And go to <laughs> deepfocusradio.com to check out over two years of conversations about movies and New Haven. And we'll catch up with you next time.